0: How y'all doing? It is great to worship together every Sunday, and tonight is special because we're in a new-to-us home, and so we're grateful uh, to have you join us here. And uh, we are continuing on with a series uh, in Joshua. So, If you're new to the Bible, Joshua's kind of way to the left, it's about the sixth book into the Bible, and if you have your Bibles, you can go there. If you can't see it, uh, we'll turn a little bit more lights on, but we've also got this opportunity on the app that you can follow along with Sermon Notes, and you can open up Element City Church app and go right there, kind of on the homepage, hit Sermon Notes, it'll take you right to... All the passages and stuff we'll look at tonight, but we are thrilled to have you here together tonight and to worship together. We've been kind of a recap of this series. Um, This book is all about God's activity on behalf of the people of Israel to fulfill a promise that he made hundreds of years earlier to now see this come to fruition. And it's going to be a challenging journey because it's going to take their cooperation. It's going to take their partnership in this deal. But God is working on their behalf. And we see this over and over through different narratives, different stories. There's moments where they get it right. There's moments where they fail. How many of you have ever failed before? Yeah, it's like human nature. And so this is the reality of the journey that they are on. And so we've looked at this idea that God called Joshua and he commissioned him. And he does the same thing for you and I. He calls us, he puts a calling on our life, he commissions us with the gifts and passions and abilities and talents and desires that he's put within us to say, hey, you can make a contribution in the story that God is writing. And so he has us on this journey. This is all about, hey, we're to follow forward faithfully. That doesn't mean perfectly, but faithfully, the best we know how in the season we're in, we get back up and we keep going, that God is always active, looking to draw people to himself. We saw that in the story of Rahab, and then last week we kind of did a memory marker, right? And we got to write on some rocks and leave that at our old uh, place of gathering there at Catalina High School, and uh, as we stay connected to them, you're going to get a chance to see that kind of memory marker that we put there (laughs) right by the front door. You'll get to walk by that every time we go in there to serve and to to make a contribution, and tonight we're going to look at one of the most famous stories in Joshua and it's Jericho. How many of you have heard about Jericho before? How many of you actually remember the little kid' song? Anyone want to sing it? Okay, perfect. You just practice a little solo in your head because now you've already started, I know you have. Um, <clears throat> so Jericho is an interesting passage in an incredible story of a miracle of God's working on behalf of the people of Israel. It challenges them to, to follow in obedience. And we'll see how this is such a strange step for them to take. But if you know anything about God, if you know anything about the Bible, God's always asking people to take strange steps. This is not out of the ordinary, but it seems very out of the ordinary in this journey that they are on. But we know about Jericho. Is it's the most prominent city in kind of southern Canaan area. It was kind of the, the roadblock, that the, the whole way for them to go up into the land of Canaan was right through Jericho. You had to go through there. That's why they had to cross over the Jordan at that point. It was kind of this oasis city. It was a fortified city. Uh, most, uh, most people, scholars and others, will say, hey, they believe it was a double-walled city and that some of the walls were actually six feet thick. Uh, And it was double-walled and protected to help against flooding, but also to help in protection. It was kind of this military outpost, so to speak. And so, as you think about this, and you have these nomads, right? These uh, generation that's grown up as people who are traveling around the desert. That's what they know. And now they're going to dig into this military action. And you look at this military outpost, and you look at the fortified walls, and you look at the reality of what they know, and the army that they have, and you look at the army of of God and, and these people that are on this journey to fulfill this promise, and, and you kind of go, man, that's a mismatch, right? It'd be kind of like your team playing the Cleveland Browns. It's a mismatch. Even your high school team might have a chance. I'm kidding. Um, but, you know, it's this idea that's a mismatch. It's not going to work out well, this whole idea of Jericho. So, in the first verse, first couple verses, here's what uh, we read in Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely uh, barred up because of the Israelites. They see Israel is there. They're camped out. No one went out and no one came in. So how much activity is going through the gates? Zip. Okay. Why? Because Jericho, the people of Jericho, believe a siege is going to happen, right? Because that's what you do. You just kind of wait them out. You put a siege around, and you kind of wait them out in order to move forward and and figure something out as you're putting this plan together. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Period. There's a period there. Think about that. If I'm Joshua, and I'm looking at this fortified city, that no one's coming in and out of, and I'm looking at us, and we're in a bunch of tents. I'm going, okay, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say you've delivered them into our hands, period. Uh, but God's saying, oh, Joshua, see, I've delivered them into your hands, period. So here's what I need you to do. He goes on. You're going to take your fighting men, march around the city uh, once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the Ark of the Covenant that is there. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times. The priests will blow the trumpets. When uh, when the people hear them, sound a long blast of the trumpets. You have the whole army give a loud shout. And then the wall of the city will collapse. The army will go up and everyone straight in. So we know the child's story. We've heard this story before, and, and at first we kind of go, "Well, this seems impossible, doesn't it?" I mean, if if we're just logical adults about this, this seems ridiculous. It seems impossible that this would even play out. How do you have you ever heard of a crazier military strategy than walk around in a circle? I mean, if anyone graduated from West Point and then submitted paperwork to say this is the strategy we should use, would they be laughed off the planet? They would, wouldn't they? It's ridiculous to even comprehend, even to get our minds around it. It's a strange, strange thing that God asked Joshua to do. In one sense, it's a form of worship, and that's what you've got to keep in mind. This is a religious ritual that they're actually embarking in. And it's to move the hearts of the people and to let them know where their dependence is really uh, where it should be. In fact, uh, one of the deepest theological messages of the story is that God is teaching his people to trust him instead of trusting their own cleverness. That would be a lesson we should learn, that we would trust God Instead of our own cleverness of what we can create and what we can come up with. See, the Bible speaks of a lot of strange things. Long before a TV show ever showed up, the Bible speaks of stranger things than this. The crazy thing okay, you're gonna win a battle, not by shouts and swords, but by silence and prayer, and you're gonna walk in a circle. That's crazy. That's strange. Our world pushes us to keep moving up the ladder. That's what we need to do, and that's where we're going to find fulfillment and satisfaction. And yet the Bible speaks of this strange thing that says, no, it's about moving down the ladder. It's about serving and not being served. That's where you're going to find fulfillment and satisfaction. That you let go of pride, and it's not just all about you. And you grab hold of humility, that's where you're going to find fulfillment in life. That's strange compared to what our culture tells us. The world pressures us to say, you've got to get more, you've got to hold on to things, you've got to gain more. And the Bible over and over says, you know, you've got to let things go. You've got to let generosity and this giving lifestyle be a part of your heart. Then you'll find what you're actually looking for. You've got to have all these different things. How do you deal with a giant in the culture? Well, you bring the biggest weapon. That's what our world says. And yet God says, no, you recruit a small boy, you give him a sling and a rock because he believes he has the biggest God on his side and you let him go. That's strange. It's strange compared to everything we have. The king of the universe didn't come with fanfare and fancy surroundings and bright lights. The light of the world, what we remember at Christmas, came in obscurity in a manger. He didn't show up for the rich and powerful first. He came and first heralded an invitation to the lowly and to the outcast. That's how God works. It's strange. It's different. The movement of Jesus and his love and grace doesn't hinge on a conquest, it hinges on a cross where it looks like it's the end of the story, but was actually the beginning of a whole new chapter in a story that he's still writing some 2,000 years later. It's strange, friends. And so when God says to Joshua, here's what you need to do, here's your marching orders, it's kind of bewildering, isn't it? But it's to test, to say, will you trust me over your own cleverness? The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, talking about the cross and how the cross is such a, a weird thing because it looks like it should be the end of the story. And here's what he says, for Jews request a sign. The Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, to the Greeks, foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jew and Greek alike, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than anything men can create. It seems impossible and improbable, and it would be, except for God. That's the comma except for God, that he's in the midst of this. See, we've all seen the impossible happen. How many of you remember Captain Sullenberger? Anyone remember him? Captain Sully, you might know him as. The one who landed the plane on what's called the Miracle of the Hudson, where he landed the plane and all 155 passengers made it off alive. Do you realize in recorded history that's the best ditching of a plane ever in aviation history? that everyone lived, it seemed impossible. People said it was impossible, and yet it happened. In this story, we look at and go, it seems impossible. It seems highly improbable. There's no way that it's going to actually happen, and yet we have the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 10, who says, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Impossibility is just not a word in God's vocabulary. Now, this passage, as you read through it, the rest of chapter 6, has some challenging parts to it, and I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge it, because what do you do with the violence that's on display here? As a preacher, what do you do with this idea that the people are on this conquest, we know this is the promised land for them, God is working on their behalf, but some things are going to play out in the way this happens that for a New Testament crowd we look at and go, gosh, this seems so harsh. Why does God wipe everybody out? What do you do with that? Do you you just ignore it? Do you over-spiritualize it? Or do you deal with reality of what's here? See, this idea of cherem, this idea of a Hebrew word for holy war, this idea of, of dedicate everything to Yahweh, meaning all the possessions are to go into his treasury. No one's to take anything. Uh, the death that's going to happen here for the whole city, you can't ignore it. But what cherim is is this idea of God saying judgment has come, and this is how it's going to be carried out. And so I, I wrestle with this. Because I've had people say to me, I, I believe in God. I believe in the God of the New Testament, in, in the Jesus and this grace and this love, but the God of the Old Testament, I really struggle there. I've seen people walk away of the faith because they can't get over, what do you do with this? And so a couple observations. There's no way to really sum all of this up. We're not the first generation to wrestle with this. This goes all the way back to Marcion in the first century and even beyond that or before that. People wrestling with what do you do with the God of justice but also the God of mercy that we see on display in this story. Observation one is the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. There's not two different gods here. You can't classify that. You can't make that distinction. Isn't it interesting that the Bible Portrays things realistically. That God allowed in his divine wisdom to have a scripture put together that would say, There's going to be blemishes in here. There's going to be tough spots that you're going to have to wrestle with. That he could have allowed the creation of a whole story and a whole biblical story that was all just the good slides, the highlight reel. But he didn't. It was real. And it was raw. And there's messy parts to it. And there's challenging things to this. God is a God who came uh, in the incarnation. He got involved in our mess. He didn't just ignore it. He became a part of it and helping us overcome. Another observation is God does judge. But he judges consistently. You can read about this region of uh, Canaan, this region of the Jordan region, where it's occupied by the Amorites, Way back in Genesis 15. And God announces this punishment that's coming in Genesis 15 that's actually going to be carried out four generations later. And this whole idea that he knew, he stands outside of time. And he knew there was a judgment coming for Jericho one day, hundreds of years later. This reality that God is not just kind of on a whim, God doesn't judge on a whim or on emotions. He judges fairly and justly. And that the Bible really portrays God as a just God, and at the same time, a God of mercy and a God of grace. It's both and, not either or. And you have to wrestle with that. You have to live in the tension of that, to understand God in his fullness, to relate to him in that way. We see an amazing case study here, even with Rahab. That what we saw a couple of weeks ago in God pursuing and wanting a relationship to have redemption come to her house and this rescue. What more likely of a person that needs judgment than her? And the occupation that she was a part of, yet what the Bible highlights is that God's grace met her and met her family and rescued her. And what we see here in verse 17, one verse announces both this idea of God's justice and his mercy. Verse 17 says this, "This city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. That's that Hebrew word, cherim. This is that holy war. He only does this a few times in the Old Testament. What we have to understand, this is what's happening. They're to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall be spared. Because she hid the spies when they first spied out the land. It's fascinating to observe that the writer mentions the destruction of Jericho, God's judgment that's come, and yet God's grace that's extended in the same sentence. Why? Because God is just and God is merciful. He is both and, not either or. He is still in the business of living that out. He is a just God in his grace, and simultaneously they could be a part of all of who he is. That's what we see of Jesus on the cross. God's justice that says sin cannot go unpunished. It has to be dealt with. And so his own son comes and deals with it on our behalf, and yet we see God's grace on display because it should have been me. It should have been you. But Jesus stepped in your place, in my place, and said, I extend grace. It's both and, and we have to wrestle with that. See, I believe God is still in the business of breaking down walls today with his power and his might and his activity and his blessing. I believe he has some things to want to break down, some walls in your heart, some walls that you're facing, some walls around this city, I think God's activity still wants to reign. And whatever obstacles you face, God is willing to help you overcome. He's willing to be with you as you overcome it. We defeat difficulties and overcome obstacles with obedience to God and to His leading. We don't rely on our own cleverness, we rely on what He says, and we follow accordingly. I wrote this down as a takeaway. You never know what God will set in motion with one small step of obedience. That's what we see in this story, is the Israelites taking one small step of obedience. You want us to do what? Walk around a city and pray and be quiet. That is a horrible war strategy. But okay, God, if you say it, we'll do it. You never know what God will set in motion in your life When you step out in obedience to him, when he challenges you on things, to say, this is the way I want you to do it. I know it's strange. I've got other stranger things. But I want you to do this. I want you to to walk this way. He gives victory to obedience. Joshua, uh, verse 20 uh, of chapter 6 says this, "So The people shouted, The priest uh, blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound. Uh, The people shouted with a great shout. The wall fell down flat. The people went up, and they took the city. The story unfolds. It actually works. The impossible happens because God's behind it. The story reminds us to be people who live by faith and who trust in God's ways over our ways who seek out his best and to follow him, not just be really clever and to figure things out. Isaiah 55 says this, for my thoughts are not like your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You live by faith, and you trust me. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is this confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not yet see. We don't see it fully happening yet, but if we walk in it, if we live in this confidence of what God's going to do on your behalf, then that's where we live by faith. Is it scary? Yes. It just is. Is it fun when you do it? Yeah. Is it hard when you do it? Yeah. Does it work out better than just following your own cleverness? 100% of the time. 100% of the time. It doesn't mean it's easy, and it doesn't mean there won't be setbacks or challenges along the way, but God loves overcoming seemingly insurmountable obstacles because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's just how he operates. It's his MO. And so tonight, uh, I want to end a little differently and kind of transition us toward a time of communion, and I've asked the, the worship team to come and sing a new song over us and over you. This is a new one we like to introduce, but you haven't heard it yet. But it really speaks to this idea of God doing a new thing and doing this thing over and over again. What we've seen in the past, we want him to do again. And I believe God is still in the business of tearing down walls. And here's what I'd like for you to pray for. Just invite you, oh, in this song, you don't have to stand. You can just sing from your heart if you want to. You can just sit and listen, but I want you to pray. And I want you to pray for three different things. You could choose. One is... Are there walls in your own life that you've built up to keep God at a distance and he's wanting to tear it down? He's wanting to tear those things down so that relationally you can walk forward with him in faith and to follow forward faithfully. Then pray and ask him to tear down that wall in your heart. Are there walls and obstacles that you're facing? Maybe it's relationships or circumstances or situations that are coming up in your life and you just need God's activity It doesn't matter how much you shout, it's not working. And so what you need is God's activity before you ever start shouting. And so tonight is your chance to say, God, I need your help. I need this wall to come down. It's stopping me from something. And then thirdly, I'd love for you to pray for our city. I believe our city is walled up in poverty, in restlessness, in hopelessness, in people who are struggling financially or have had a financial setback, people who are hurt emotionally. They're held back by systemic issues that it doesn't matter how many programs we try. They're good, and we need to keep the effort going, but it's not enough. Why? Because it's our cleverness. And what we need is God's activity. We need to walk in obedience to him. And so just as the Israelites did then, they worshipped. Do you know anything about prayer walking? This is where this story comes from. It's the basis of prayer walking around the world. That people go into a region, to China, into a region in Central Asia. I've been there and prayed. Why? because it's God's activity. It's not our cleverness. We're clever people. Good for us. But we're not clever enough to solve the problems that are before us, that are before our city. We need God's activity. And so tonight, that's what I want you to pray for. What wall is in your life? What wall are you facing? What wall is our city facing? And as you listen to this song, Pray and sing into it, and that we actually just practice what we see here in Joshua chapter 6. God, have your way. Let us be obedient to follow you as you show us that we take our next step in obedience to you. And so let's sing.
1: knowing the battles won for you have never failed me your promise still stands great is your faithfulness This is my confidence, you never fail. sing your praises Still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Faith. You never failed me yet, and I never will forget. You never failed me yet.
0: Would you pray with me, Father, that's. A song of declaration. Just leaning back into Joshua chapter 6. What you did for your people then. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Father, would you do it again? There's some of us here who've built up our own walls to keep us separated from you. Pray that you'd tear those walls down. God, for those of us who are facing situations or circumstances that are insurmountable, in our world's eye, in our mind's eye, there's no way, it's impossible for us to to even get around it, let alone through it. God, would you tear down those walls? On behalf of your people, would your intervention make a way? God, for our city, surrounded in hunger low education, systemic issues that are plaguing. God, would you tear down those walls? Would you birth new dreams and visions within our people, within your people across the city that will make a difference only because first and foremost, you made a way and you gave the vision and you gave the dream, and you gave the resources, and you make a way. Father, would you do it again? Would you do it again? Would you do it again? Would you let us enjoy the ride on your coattails of you doing a work in this church, in your church, across your city? Jesus, we need you. We thank you that you came, and what we celebrate in communion is that you tore down the wall that separated us from you. We could never get to you. In our own brokenness, in our own sin, there was just no way. It was impossible. With man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible, you said. And so you made a way. And so we remember, as we take this bread, as we take this juice, we remember, Jesus, you're the way, the truth, and the life. You made a way for us to have life with God today and forever. And we celebrate that. And as we move and continue in worship and communion and in song, would you continue to stir our hearts? We ask that in Jesus' name.